expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Here we are at episode 114 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where, man, I am here to tell you that the con crud is real, and it is a cruel and unforgiving beast. You would think that everything you've texted me, seeing all our friends who were at other cons, had, had caught it as well. You would have thought that the T-virus outbreak actually started, you know? I know, right? And I mean, I you know me, I use hand sanitizer all the time, yep. constantly washing my hands, but I could not be saved. From the con crud. I'm James with him alongside. <laughs> the amazing Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia. And yeah, man, it's like, you know, we saw our friend Abby Darkstar got sick. And, you know, a couple other people got sick. Our friend Drew Moss. Yeah. You know, everybody else. And I'm like, yeah, the guy who doesn't use the hand sanitizer or anything else? Huh, I wonder. He, he's the one that's the healthiest. And you'd figure you live with a small human being. You'd figure you'd be, like, immune by now. I feel like I need to track down patient zero. Right, you gotta lock down, them up. You gotta track down Nerd Zero. <laughs> and, and you know, you, you see people walk in with like those sur- surgical masks on, right? Right. And you're like, is that a cosplayer? Is this person actually sick? You right. don't know because it's a con. Right. Are you dressed as Hugo Strange or not? Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but uh, no. Speaking of cons, man, I mean, of course, we were at Taiwan Comic Con this past weekend. It was a fun time. We got, of course, got to host the. DC Comics panel, of course, with Steve Orlando, Eric Donovan, and Ron Mars, and it was just a fun time, and, you know, afterwards, I myself, because you were very tired, but I went out and went drinking and had some fun with uh, Orlando and, and Mars and Donovan, it was it was fun, man, it was a really, really fun weekend. I guess we understand why I was tired now, it was probably the beginnings of this mess, but, <laughs> no, it was hey. really great to see some see a lot of people, and, of course, Anna Mia, we got to yep. chat with her for a bit as well, so, I mean, it, it was definitely a great time to see everybody oh. again. All I'm going to say is that rum creates a hell of a barrier to not get sick. Oh, apparently I, so. The, the amount I drank over the fucking weekend, <laughs> it's a lot. That might have taken care of it, actually. That might yeah. have just knocked it right out. But, I mean, Tywar Khan was great, but again, next week, next Thursday, we're going to be on the road traveling to Washington, D.C. for Awesome Con, dude. Yep, and again, while we will not have a traditional broadcast coming up this Friday, we will be in the Awesome Con floor we will be actually inside awesome con on friday so whatever we get on friday as soon as we get back to the hotel that stuff's going up yep and also james we have a special guest this week as always Brittany ishibashi who plays karai and tmnt out of the shadows will be joining us to promote the movie which comes out june 3rd in theaters it's gonna be a fun time to talk to her man yeah absolutely i mean karai is a character that we wanted to see more of in the first movie Right. Didn't quite get that, so now we're hoping that we see a little bit more of her, even though there's like a million villains in this movie. Yeah, man, Bebop, Rocksteady, you know, Baxter Stockman might play yep. a, a titular role in this as well, but we'll find out when we talk to her later on in the show. But come next, we have two new comics this week, find out what they are. It's what we're reading right here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm writer Dan Waters, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, time we pull our long boxes. It's time for what we're reading is always brought to you by the fine folks at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragona Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great things he has for your nerd self and the nerds that you love. And James, you went for a little bit of a joyride this week. With Absolutely. Image. And our buddies Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly are responsible for joyride number two, which is from Boom Studios. And Marcus Toad did the art colors by Irma. Wow, this last name. All right, I'm going to give it a shot. Here we All go. Right. Remember to enunciate as well. Nevilla. Okay. Let's go with that. Letters <laughs> by Jim Campbell. So. Okay. I just like I said, yeah, that's good enough. Even if I mess up your name, you know what? That's good. You know, I, I'm going to butcher most names anyway, <laughs> so I figured, what the hell? Now, basically, this book, I don't want to ruin the first issue for you, just in case you want to go back and read both issues. But basically, think about, like, under the Dome okay. meets Demolition Man. Ooh. Except the dome in this case is metallic. There's no, you can't see anything. And basically anything that would be considered a stimulant is illegal. Shoes, sunglasses, everything. So is it kind of like a little bit of equilibrium where everybody's kind of 
focused and, and mindless in a sense. Equilibrium without the uh, without the excessive violence that <laughs> without ensues. The, without the gunkata. Yeah, so th- that is not a part of this. But, <laughs> I mean, the story centers around uh, around Uma, who's like the most recla- reckless teenager you know that's like 17, 18, that oh, just wants that? to get the hell out of Dodge kind of yeah. thing. But in this case, that's illegal. You can't leave either because it's too dangerous. And basically... It's on the moon. So huh. now I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to spell you a name. Okay. And I'm going to see if you can tell me how you would say it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. D-E-W-Y-D-D. D-E-W-Y-D-D. Yeah. Dwayne? Is it Dwayne or Duty? Because my brain saw Duty. <laughs> I don't know what Colin and Jackson would say, but I my brain saw Duty. I don't know if it's because I'm immature or because that's what it is. But in any event, he's kind of like the straight-laced one, but he's like head over heels in love with her because it's an opposites attract right. kind of situation. But what we find out in the first issue, and I can spoil this because it's not a major thing. They talk about it like a million times. I think it's even talked about in the solicitation. His family is like a high-ranking in the world that they live in. They're so a very high-ranking family. So it's pretty much like a, an oligarchy kind of thing, where it's, it's a class thing, where like she's not of a higher class, so her his parents probably won't approve and stuff like that. And but as you said, their their emotions and everything else are so opposite of one another, you know? So it's, it's one of the things where maybe his family doesn't approve kind of thing. Right, and it's very much a uh, rally against the government kind of feel, too, where she's like, they have, you know how on Hunger Games they would pop up a little video screen? Okay, so he he's, like, he's like District 1, she's like District 13. In a way, yeah, because they would pop up with little messages of, here was our conquest for today, and long live the leaders, oh, okay. blah, 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 kind of thing. And she's like, yeah, I'll pass. I'm out of here. Now, they end up getting kind of a stowaway accidentally when they do take off and that's again not a spoiler because again it's in the solicitation so don't worry about that now they do travel to another planet and let's just say she does something really Mm -hmm. stupid Mm -hmm. and the person that is with them has been trying to stop her the entire time and duty there just lets her do whatever she wants because and he will question her, but at the end of the day, he's going to let her do what she wants. Uh, here's a question. How is the writing from that aspect? Is it engaging at all? Is it... Man, I don't know how Jackson and Colin do it, but they just have a way of writing moody teenage characters for, for women. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> I don't know if they've got moody teenagers at home or if they had little sisters growing up or something. I don't know, but it just works, man. It just seems like every character that they have in this book just works in the progression and how you have like these rises and falls at certain points. And the humor is on point in this book. I mean, it's not forced at all. It's absolutely on point. And at the end, I'm not going to say that there's like a huge reveal at the end because there really isn't, but it's not a big deal because it sets up like, I want to read the next issue now. Okay, so it kind of leaves you off on a little bit of a cliffhanger that kind of makes you, well, actually it does make you want to say, you know what, I can't wait for issue three. How's the art in this? I got to tell you, Marcus Toe, yeah. I think is going to be one of my new favorite artists. Really? Just the way his style is. It's not quite anime, but it's right there on the cusp of it, which I normally don't like. Mm-hmm. But it's very clean. There's nothing, the scenery, especially in the outer space scenes, there's nothing left to the imagination. He puts every little effort into it, and all the facial expressions for the moments, absolutely perfect. I gotta tell you, there's just something about Jackson and Colin's stuff that I love. This is definitely a pull for me. Alright, well, of course, as we all know, DC has Rebirth, and everybody's been, you know, we've been promoting it for a while, DC's been, of course, promoting it for a long time. What is Rebirth? What is it? Well, of course... I decided, you know what, I'm going to review DC's Rebirth. Now, of course, it was written by Jeff Johns, and the way the book is broken up is in four different chapters. So each chapter has a different art crew, so it's just a whole plethora of artists. I it's, a, it's just a laundry list of names I can't get through. But again, it's written by Jeff Johns, and now I'll say this. If you're somebody who hasn't read a lot of DC lately you will probably more likely be confused and lost a little bit. But to give you a little bit of a premise of the story itself, it centers around Wally West, of course, Flash. And he's going through, he's in the Speed Force, and he has to warn people about certain things, 
and he's pretty much trying to escape the Speed Force. And he's narrating the entire, the whole, most of the thing is through narration, it's him narrating it. And pretty much, you'll go see Batman, everything else. But pretty much, the whole premise of Rebirth itself is where he says, there is a, some being who's more powerful than Darkseid, who pretty much released like 10 years out of time. And now relationships and certain things are missing or weakened and no longer. He's talks about how, you know, skilled heroes and legends and stuff like that are now novices now because those wow. 10 years have been just removed from time. So they just so, ripped the timeline. Basically. Pretty much. Because so, the whole thing is him going through multiple Earths and stuff like that and different timelines. And, you know, talks about and, and sees different things. And, of course, we see different characters throughout the DC Universe you know, for example, Dr. Fate's in it. Uh, we see Constantine in there. Of course, Jessica Cruz, the new Green Lantern. And the way they introduce some people is more like cameos because it's what this does is that it, it, it while confusing, it does set up the different series that are going to be happening in the DC Rebirth universe. And so here's the, the interesting thing. While it is confusing, I was lost. There are times where Wally will say certain things or certain actions will happen and it'll bring everything back to its center and you'll be like, okay, I understand what's happening now. So you were a little lost at certain points, but then you got to a certain point in the story and you're like, okay, now I see what they were doing. Right. I was confused for a lot of it, but then I'm like, but then like Wally will say something or something will happen and I'm like, okay, this makes total sense. And the art is just, I mean, it doesn't lose a beat, man. It's, it's, you want to talk? I, mean, I sent you some art from from the comic. Oh yeah, and because uh, I know you're a big Doctor Fate fan, so I showed you what he looks like, and he it's just phenomenal the art through and through. It is solid, man. That Doctor Fate. I mean, no offense to the people that did the Doctor Fate solo series, but it made that look like a kid's drawing. Yeah, and uh, but again, it's one of those things where the book has a lot of promise, and there's a big thing with Superman. That I'm not going to spoil because it's a huge thing with Superman, and Again, this has a lot of promise in it. Uh, for example, like Jessica Cruz, you see her kind of talking to uh, what appears to be Hal Jordan, I believe, and she's saying, like, well, wait a minute, he's a Green Lantern with a gun, and I just got, you know, this ring. So it's kind of like setting up Green Lanterns and stuff like that mm-hmm. a little bit. So each panel, you know, there's a panel with Constantine Swamp thing. So it's like each panel sets up these, like I said it before, these the separated rebirth runs and right. series that are going to be taking place. Um, the art is great. And again, there is a scene with Barry Allen and Wally West towards the end where, dude, you want to talk about an emotional impact of a scene. Wow. That's just amazing. Like, well, you know how much love Jeff Johns has for The Flash. Right. I mean, that's, that's like one of his top right there. If he's going to pay extra attention to anything, it's going to be that. Right, and it's just, I mean, it's a really emotional scene. Uh, the way that it's broken up is great. Uh, again, going to this book, you're going to be confused if you haven't read a lot of DC comics. And that's kind of the thing with DC, because it's not really their fault, but it's because a lot of their comics are like, it's all multiverse. It's all based in the multiverse, most of, most of them. So different Earths, different takes, different things. And, they, and, and Rebirth is kind of throwing in all of those together in a sense. Right. Can I make a suggestion to yeah. uh, our listeners? Yeah. Read Titan's Hunt that came right before Rebirth. Because it leads right into Rebirth, and that might answer a lot of stuff. Right, right, exactly, exactly. This is a definite pull for me, man, because this shows a lot of promise. And one thing that this book really does is it shows John's and DC's dedication to bring everybody back to their roots that made them so great. Well, they're ripping 10 years out of the timeline, so basically... They're ripping the new fifty two Pretty much. right out, basically. Pretty much. They man. are just ripping it out. And I mean you kinda had to expect that this would be a big setup issue, but man, eighty pages for like two ninety nine. Yeah, that's an amazing deal. How do you not at least give that a shot? Exactly, man. I mean it's just it's such a good and the thing is, like I said, at first you you'll feel lost, but as you progress through it and I've, to be honest, I've never really read... I mean, I've read Flash, but I've never read Wally West stuff. I've read mostly Barry Allen stuff. Dude, you want to talk about just a sympathetic character? It's Wally West, man. Yeah, the stuff definitely. that he, 
the stuff that he tries to do, the barriers he tries to break through and everything, it's just simply, simply amazing. Even some of the, some of the stuff he recognizes that's been taken away is amazing, too. And there's also a big reveal at the end. And I'm not going to spoil what it is, but when you see it, you're going to be like, okay, I think I know where this is going. And you have to read the epilogue as well. But again, DC's Rebirth is a definite pull for me. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of what we're reading. But coming up next is this week in Geek Tamment, and we're going to run through some season finales of the top nerd and geek shows on television. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy come up next. Hi, I'm Casper Wingard. I'm a comic artist, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One thing that always gets bigger and bigger every year, it seems like, is the Nerd TV slate. So, we've got nine shows here, Nick. What we're going to do is we're going to rank them from number one to number nine, right down the line. And this is going to be based on the actual whole season of the shows, not just the finales, but we will touch on some stuff a little bit later on in the segment. All right, without further ado, let's get right to it. Now, we're going to do this a little bit differently. Instead of going 9 to 1, we're going 1 to 9. And the shows that we've pretty much covered and the ones that we're ranking are the network shows. You know, your ABCs, your NBCs, Foxes, and so on and so forth. So let's start off with number 1. And I know we both kind of know each other's list a little bit. The way that we have this is these two shows can either honestly go A or B because theirs is that good. Well, my number 1 is Lucifer. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. And I, I say that because, again, pros, having Joe Henderson on before the pilot, and he talked about the whole writing staff. And he talked about, yeah, you know, we did deviate from the comics and made it procedural, but it's going to work out, and they made it work. Mm-hmm. The There was never an episode where I felt the show dragged, the writing was great, the acting was just phenomenal, and the finale just really really went in ways and, ex- and explored things that we never saw done in the show, and it really tied it up really well. And also that tease for season two, I mean, how could you top that? You know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. And I think one of the main things here is consistency. Yeah. The show was consistent. I did not have it at number one, but like you said, these two shows were interchangeable, so I had that at number two. My number one is The Flash for and a lot my- of the same reasons. And that's my number two. I mean, you want to talk about consistency. That show never missed a beat all season. And then the way they brought in Earth 2, and they had, you know, the double swerve of Jay Garrick during the season. We'll talk about, you know, quickly about that in the finale here coming up. But And then the emotional roller coaster, not just for Barry, but for all the characters on the show, had some sort of emotional thing that they needed to overcome. And then you want to talk about a shock at the finale and possibly right. setting up Flashpoint. You want to talk about a tease for season three? That is a tease. And this show just has an uncanny way of being able to bring in multiple characters, juggle them, and make it work so it doesn't seem like it's too much. So I just could not, I could not put The Flash at number one, but it was very close for me between The Flash and Lucifer. Exactly. Really quickly on The Flash, I also liked how every character there had a purpose. Like Cisco, yes. he you know he had a purpose being there and, and getting more screen time because this season was also really much, pretty much about Cisco as well because remember he's vibe now yep. and so his powers were expanding pretty much every other week and they were learning something new about him and and stuff like that. And then the relationships on that show, I don't, I honestly don't think that there's a better show that shows a, a family dynamic better than The Flash. I agree, and I think we need to, one of our criticisms of The Flash last year, one of our only criticisms. They kind of fixed that. Iris stepped up this year. Yeah. Iris was much more important and integral this year than she was last year. So they fixed that. I mean, that was almost the only fan complaint from last season. And congratulations on them for doing that. So let's move on to number three. What do you have at number three? Number three for me, James, is a show that we've had the bottom for a long time. And rightfully so, quite frankly. Yes, for various reasons. But this season, they really stepped it up in every aspect every angle, and even at the mid-season part, when we're like, oh man, it's this person, we're going to do this, or whatever, they said, you know what, we see what you're, you know, we understand people aren't happy, but you know what, we're going to make it worth it, and we're going to show you what we're going to do with it. That's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for me, went from literally the bottom to third, because, I mean, I know the finale doesn't, it should only count for like a certain part of the how the whole season went out right but again 
this whole season was just an emotional roller coaster from uh, Bobby and her husband, of course, that scene in the bar when everybody would do that send off, man. Yep, yep. It was to the humans finally having a place. And I understand people were saying, like, oh, it's just these random inhumans, everything else. They made them work. They Who gave cares, every purpose. But that's the thing is they gave every yeah. inhuman a purpose. And I love that. And again, the finale we talked about last week, this, that scene with Hive, Brett Dalton just amping it up. Everybody, just from Clark Gregg, Chloe Bennett, all the way down to the entire cast. And one thing I like, too, is I like the fact that they resolved the whole Fitz and Simmons thing. They did. Finally, finally, Fitz gets the girl. <laughs> finally, the nerd gets the girl. I mean, it, it typically happens in these scenarios, but they just fit, man. I mean, they just they have to be together kind of thing. You want to talk about a relationship that just needed to be needed to happen. I know people felt that way about Oliver and Felicity in seasons past of Arrow. Fitz and Simmons was the relationship that just had to happen. And while I don't have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at number three, I have it at number four, and I'll explain that here in a second, I will say the best season finale was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. If we're just talking about finales, I think S.H.I.E.L.D. had the best finale. Yeah, and, you know, so uh, what was your number three? Uh, at number three, I again, this is the entire season. Right. Okay? So I had to base this on the entire season, not just the finale, and that's Gotham. The reason I say Gotham is because you want to talk about a great performance. B.D. Wong. Oh, my God. As Hugo Strange was absolutely fantastic. And being the architect for almost the entire rogues gallery for Batman, of course, Hugo Strange being Batman's first real villain back in the day. I mean, he was absolutely fantastic. Nathan Darrow as a zero year. Mr. Freeze was great. We got to see an evolution of Penguin and the Riddler again. But with Penguin, it's like, you had him. He was fixed. He yes. was going to be fine. And then they screwed it up. And I mean, Paul Rubens is, is Penguin's dad in a different light from the movies. I mean, there was just so many great performances on here. The finale, I will say this. I would have almost put Gotham at number one. Right. The reason I knocked it off of the top spot or even the number two spot was because of the finale. I thought that the finale left a lot to be desired. Yeah, and with the finale, I'll get to more of that with where I put it on my rankings. So, But moving on to number four, you want to talk about a show that I understand a lot of people will see this show, will hear us talk about it. We had the show run around, and people would say, well, how does this fit in the whole nerd geek thing? Well, it's a spy thing. If you really think about it, it's it's a spy show. Yep. And number four, I mean, just from the entire season to the season finale, Blind Spot. Blind Spot is my number four show. Because the one thing I love about I love a show that makes you think and that makes you feel that you're a part of the of a team and that you're searching and you're discovering and trying to connect clues as the show goes on. And Martin Garrow and everybody over at Blindspot just did that every single week. One thing I loved about Blindspot, and it wasn't just Jamie Alexander and Sullivan Stapleton, both of whom were absolutely fantastic. What I love that Martin Garrow did is he gave Patterson this side story that was so emotional oh, yeah. and so great and so in-depth and gave her an identity and, for and, a character that could have easily just been pushed aside. And but in the they used her. And in the finale, her side story comes full circle and becomes a main focus of that finale for season one. I mean, to me, it's just unbelievable how they gave, they made every character, like we said for, for a couple of the other shows, they made every character matter. And the way they, you know, they killed off Mayfair and they killed off the guy earlier that was kind of getting to Jane's secret and everything yep. like that. And it's like, wow. And then they flipped the script two, three, four times on the show, but it wasn't just for the sake of doing it. It was actually for a reason, so I think that I, I have no problem with you putting that at, at four. Well, yeah, man, especially because one thing, too, about <laughs> this is that every member of that team was in some sort of danger. Right. Like everybody, And everybody had a certain confliction, you know, and it was just the way they did it in the season finale was great. So without further ado, what would you put at number four for yourself? Well, I had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at number four, so I'm going to move on to number five. Right. And I've kind of been flip-flopping. On my number five a little bit. Right. Uh, I had Blind Spot there. I've been trying to decide between Blind Spot 
and Supergirl, and I keep flipping back and forth, but the more and more I think about it, I think I am going to put Blind Spot at five. Yeah. For, for just the way that they, it always kept you engaged, and it always told you a different story. So I would put Blind Spot at my number five. So then I'll move on to my number six. Whoa, whoa, whoa I didn't get my number five. Okay, I didn't give me your number five. five, and then we'll move on to number six. Well, my number five, just really quickly, is Gotham. And, I mean, the season was fantastic. B.D. Wong, really great job. Nathan Darrow, great job. Everybody on the show, great, great job. But the finale, I think they really dropped the ball with it. I, I'm sorry, but Fish Mooney is nothing more than a bridge character. Nope. And to and to see everything that they did with her uh, and how she's going to more likely carry over into season three. Like, I'm excited for the Court of Owls, but I, I, I'm a bit uneasy knowing that Fish is going to be a player coming into season three. Right, I agree with that. And, and I think that they missed the boat with, I think the Clayface thing, they should have figured that out. Yeah, way that's sooner. something that dragged on too long. Although, I will say... When Fish Mooney in the penultimate episode said, I want you to make me a grilled cheese sandwich. I laughed my ass off. I'm sorry. That was funny. That was her only good moment on the show ever. So the whole grilled cheese sandwich thing that I thought was funny. But I mean, I, I can't blame you for punishing him for the finale because you're going to be that good all season long. And even your mid-season finale right? super solid. And then to end it and, like this, it's like, come on. And I'll say this. After next season... With the whole core of owls and that whole thing just you know happens, Bruce Wayne needs to be gone. Like like it's getting to that point where listen, stop the whole he's in danger thing. We know he's not going to die. Yeah, you know what happens. Yeah. But seriously, like after the core of owls, like, I understand why he's there. But after that, hey, send him off to the monastery and then make it a focus mostly. Make it a bullock. And Gordon-centric show, you know? It's time to stop putting Bruce and Alfred in perilous situations where it looks like they might die. Right. Because it's ridiculous. I mean, everybody knows, even somebody that's not a huge comic book fan that just happens to be watching the show... Yeah, you know! ...knows <laughs> Batman, okay? Yeah. He's not gonna die. It's just not gonna happen. So, yeah, I would say move on. So, we will move on to number six. So, I'll go first, number six, and I am gonna put Supergirl at number six. And the reason I put Supergirl at number six is that... It was the lighthearted, feel-good show this year. And mm-hmm. it was just something that you watched it every week. I was always entertained by Supergirl. I did think that it had its slow moments at times. I do think that they missed a couple of little opportunities. But the relationship that they put together between Kara and her sister and David Harewood's character, I mean, it was just unbelievable. Bringing the Martian Manhunter in, the effects were great. The whole ending sequence with Nan and Indigo... And killing off her aunt. I mean, that was just... I mean, the story that they told was a great one. And, and this was the show we told... We talked about this when we reviewed the finale. This was the show that we needed that was like that breath of fresh air where you could just sit back, enjoy yourself, have a little fun, but also get the serious stuff in too. So that's why I decided to put Supergirl at number six. See, I had Legends of Tomorrow at number six. But to be honest, everything you just said, I'm like, you know what? I'm making a switch here because Legends was six, but on my list, and Supergirl was seven. But I'm gonna switch them both. I'm gonna flip them. Supergirl will be my sixth uh, ranked show for the season, and then Legends is gonna be my number seven. Legends is my number seven because uh, there were some inconsistencies with the show. I liked the dynamics they had with everybody. They didn't really feel like a team, and it was conflicted mostly at all times. I think the one drawback and the one negativity of the show, I will say, was Rip Hunter because every episode. He would say, "Don't do this, don't do that," but then he'd do something like ten times worse. Or he and he was just selfish the entire time. I felt that nobody really called him out on that in a sense. Like they mentioned, they would mention well, it in passing. They, they did, but it was it was gone and dealt with too quickly. I think. right, you know, it was it was resolved too quickly. There was no, there should have been more animosity there. And I actually have it at seven as well. So we're we're definitely in line on that. I agree. I think that Rip Hunter got away with too much. Yeah. And nobody ever tried to really take the reins from him. Yeah. And I don't know if they bec- it's because they thought, you know, he's the captain. He's the only one that could operate this. But Sarah ends up flying the ship at some point. So, and you, you'd think that Palmer could have flew the ship. Or, I mean, there's it, a few people that could have done it. It would have been nice, sorry to cut you off, but it would have been nice to see a scene where they got really fed with Rip and, like, threw him in that cell. And, like, you know what, fuck this. We are going to take over this mission. Right. We are going to do this without Rip's help and without you know and without him interfering in this. And then that could have caused some you know major changes to the timeline, some, maybe yep. some even more interesting changes to the timeline. But you know, again, that that's just my take on it. 
But again, that was a fun show. There was oh, yeah. a lot of good stuff about it. The whole Kronos reveal with Mick. I thought that was great. I thought yeah. that was a very well done. Uh, even the side stories that they have with Jonah Hex, I thought that was a great episode. Casper Crump, of course, we talked to a couple weeks ago, was fantastic as Vandal Savage. I mean, I don't think you could have asked for a better Vandal Savage. But, I mean, and again, we're ranking these, and it's funny because... There were really no bad seasons overall. So if you're saying, I can't believe you put Super Bowl right. 6 or 7, it's like, look, it's not that we didn't no. like these seasons. Everybody was pretty solid, There's but just, you got to put it somewhere. Well, that, but also, you know, certain shows have their inconsistencies and some are glaring, more glaring than other ones, you know? Right. So that's why they're, you know, that's why a lot of things on our list are like, they're not too far apart. It's like mine's here. Yours is like right behind and stuff like that and so on and so forth. So right. One more. Th- I just want to get to one more thing before we move on. There's take the shows at the top of our list. Right. Those are the shows where I don't feel like there was any episodes where you could just lift one out and, and not miss it. Right. With a couple of these shows towards the bottom, there were some episodes where it was like, you know what? If that didn't happen, it wouldn't have taken anything away from the story. Right. I think that's the big difference. Right. And so, you know what? Because it's the final two shows, and people can kind of guess what they are, let's just do them both at the same time. Okay. My number eight is Agent Carter, and my number nine, of course, is Arrow. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Because I've got the same order. Well, because remember Arrow, I think last time we did this, Arrow was like top five, top three. It was, I think it was top three, absolutely. And, and how could it not be after what they did last season? But let's, before we dive into Arrow, let's dive into Agent Carter. And again... We talked about this finale weeks ago, and you know, without rehashing stuff, pretty much from what we said, it was a stronger season. It still had its 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 falls, falling out, and stuff like that. The ending, the way that everything happened with Madame Mask and everything else, kind of felt very anticlimactic. Sadly, Agent Carter has been canceled. But we again, as right. we reported weeks ago, the writing was on the wall when Haley Atwell got cast in that other ABC show and people were jumping off, you know, producers and stuff that right. were jumping off the show. So it was, it was, the writing was on the wall. Uh, but, I mean, Agent Carter, I liked the, the certain uh, relationships they built on, stuff like that, and where they went with it. It, it worked out. But it wasn't a bad season. It's just uh, I'm just disappointed that we're not going to see S.H.I.E.L.D. be created and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, that was a big risk when they started doing Agent Carter. But I will say that Agent Carter's biggest problem in season one carried over into season two. It would start really strong in the first couple of episodes. Then yeah. it would drag, like really drag. And then the last two episodes or even the last episode would try and kind of bring that back to the forefront and make it great again. So while the finale was good, it wasn't enough for me to say that it was a great season of the show because I, I do think that there were a lot of missteps there. And again, a couple of episodes that in the middle there was like, okay, you could have skipped that and got to the point faster. I realize you have to have a certain amount of episodes, but you could have made this more important and you didn't. And that brings us to our lowest rated show this year, of course, which was Arrow at number nine. And this is a show where it's written like a soap opera. And it's been, I heard, I've, Read quotes where they pretty much like the producer that said we see it more as a soap opera. There's times, or a lot of times, where it just dragged, and there's no more need for flashbacks. There's no more need, you know, for. I'm sorry, but I don't like the whole. I don't like the whole thing with Oliver and Felicity. I don't. It, after, it's it's done after the, and after this after yeah. the season. I'm kind of like, what is Felicity's purpose? It needs to be over now because it, this up 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 and down, on again, off again stuff. Yeah, I'm over it, man. I, I'm just over it. I understand that a lot of fans love the combination of the two. I get it. Maybe they get together at the end. Maybe they don't. But it, it's I just don't even care anymore, man. I mean, they need to stop focusing on that. And there was a lot of other things where it was like, what what are we what are we doing here? Like when they try to stop Dark and they realize, okay. We need some sort of magical powers, and Constantine gave me this tattoo. Right. They try one thing for, like, five minutes, and when it doesn't work, they just go away from it entirely. They don't try and seek out another source. They don't try and seek out another potential hero or something. No, no. no it, it, was, it wasn't just a five-minute thing. It was when Oliver couldn't do it a second time. He did it the first time, but he couldn't do it a second time. He's like, you know what? I give up. And it's like, right. really, That's what dude? I mean. That's what I mean. It's, it's like, like, really? Like, You're really? going to try it once and, and then forget it? You know, off air, we were talking about this on, uh, what was it, Tuesday, and you're like, you know, we were talking in person, and you're like, man, if they make it to where 
the only way he can defeat Dark is with the citizens of Star City. I don't know. I'm done. Like you know, and stuff like that. And and lo and behold, Oliver magically can jump onto a car in the middle of a riot and somehow project loud enough to where people will stop and look at him. And it was the oh, if you want to talk about a speech that was just so Oscar Beatty, like just trying to be over the top. I'm like, oh god. Like, I mean, if you would have had a megaphone or something, right, where everybody could have heard, I could understand how maybe a few people in the surrounding area could have heard him. There's no way everybody heard him. What I love is that nobody dropped the DVD player that they looted right. from the store down the street. Matter of fact, in the scene where they go to fight Dark, they're still holding him. And by which the way, I think it's hilarious. Speaking of Dark, I want to say this too. He launches all the nukes and stuff like that. Yet the a lot of the finale is them sitting in the arrow cave uh, like debating and having like you know uh, uh giving like pump up speeches and stuff like that it's like you do it's like guys you realize like 30,000 or 3,000 nukes are like flying all around the world right about the land somewhere and when Diggle's wife sends the team down there to try and stop dark and Oliver's like you know they're gonna die right and I'm like are you just listening to what we're saying yeah because we know that they're gonna die as well and then yeah. my least favorite part of the entire finale and I know we're focusing a lot on the finale and, and I will talk about a couple of good things from Arrow when the my least favorite part of the finale is when the guy throws the rock or whatever and Damien <laughs> Dark was like leave him alone I'm like really yeah. Really? And because couldn't he just snap all their necks at the same time? Yeah, pretty much. Like, he could have just killed them all right there. And also, with that, it's like, really? So, wait. Somehow, Damien Dark loses his powers in his fight against Alvin at final fight. Yet, he's still able to somehow telepathically kill Felicity's ex-boyfriend when he steps away from the Rubicon keys. Right, and, and that's the problem. They never really explained why... He wasn't able to affect Oliver. Yeah. Now, you can kind of connect the dots for yourself, I guess. There is a possible explanation, but that was something that kind of needed to be explained in the show. I'm sorry. I mean, I get how it probably was done, but to me, that's not even a good enough reason, actually. You know, man, I understand. This is a huge spoiler, but whatever. I understand that Oliver is the one that broke broke his, his, you know, once no kill rule, but, but remember back in the first season he was killing people left and right. But yep. still, I just felt that had Laurel's dad been the one to kill Dark with an arrow, the same way he did to his daughter, that would have been like a, an up stand up and applaud moment. That, that would have been something. I agree. Can we can we take a side step for a second here with uh, with uh, Laurel's dad, Detective Lance? Yeah, I don't get the whole relationship between him and Felicity. Yeah, I don't get it at all. It's like you're just doing this to try and create some sort of awkward moments and try and make something funny. I will say that love Mr. Terrific. I think he's going to once he becomes Mr. Terrific, it's going to be great. The whole Laurel dying thing. That was a big moment. So I think that was a couple things that they did do right because that was very shocking. But I mean, at the end of the finale, it almost looks like they're resetting the whole thing. So let's see what they're going to do next season because they better bring it at this point. Well, coming up next, it's nerd news. And, well, we do have a story that, well, kind of caught the ire of a lot of Marvel fans and comic book fans in general. Find out what it is next here on the Down Nerdy Podcast. Yeah, this is Flash Gordon, Sam Jones, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it's time to spray paint the Hydra logo on Captain America's shield because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! And as I mentioned, we're going to talk about and open up this segment by talking about the big reveal that happened this week in Captain America number one, Steve Rogers. So, James, before we dive into it, I just want to say this. Listen, you can be like us and not like what Nick Spencer did in the comic book. However, if you are somebody who goes online or whatever and writes Nick death threats, you are an asshole that, that is totally unnecessary and sad, and also you're making the rest of us nerds look bad. Right. So stop it. It's reckless. It's irresponsible. Grow up. 
okay? This is ridiculous. We love these characters just as much, if not more, than you do. But that's ridiculous. Yeah, okay? you need to fill it in. It's just like, if you don't like a show, change the channel. If you don't like the comic, don't buy it. Don't read it. There's 75 years of history with Captain America that you go back. There's no need for death threats. But this one, you have a right for the rest of us who are sane people, you have the right to be upset because, Nick, it was a big reveal, like you said, in Captain America, Steve Rogers, number one, that this entire time, Steve Rogers has been a sleeper agent for Hydra. The reason why I don't like what he did was mostly because of this. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby are two men who were, or I should say were because they're both past, but of Jewish descent. You take their character who was first shown in 1941 of March, 1941, punching Hitler in the face, and you say, you know what, we're going to make him a Hydra agent, a Nazi agent. And I don't care what people write about this, oh, he's not a Nazi. No, when you're part of Hydra, you're technically you're a Nazi. Yeah, and when they say, oh, Hydra's not based from the Nazis, uh... Yeah, they are. Yeah, they That's are. how they started in the first place. Did you see what Red Skull wore back in like the 1941 comics? He yeah. had a swastika on the front of his uh, jacket. There. And there are plenty of times with Hitler standing right next to Red Skull in the comics. So stop with the whole Hydra is not Nazis. They are. At least they were. So stop it. Yeah, they're they're founded in Nazi roots. So. I mean, that's the reason why I don't like it. And again, the reason, and the reason why I don't like it as well is because when you see something like that, you see that reveal of Cap saying Hail Hydra, you really look at it like, wow, Marvel is really just trying to go for shock value. They're really just trying to get that attention, whether it's positive or negative. And it just, it just doesn't fit, man. Again, you, as you mentioned, you have 75 years of Cap. And listen, not every person needs to be dark. Not every person needs to have an edge to them. You know what I'm saying? Right. Cap is literally one of, if not the most, next to Superman, most patriotic, hopeful characters. And then you do this to him. And you brought up a, 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 you brought up a scenario and an angle that I never thought of, actually, to think of. So what was it? I mean, we've got our buddy uh, Matt Boz, who dresses up as Captain America. We saw him at Tidewater Comic Con. I mean, if you've never met this guy, if you don't live in the Virginia Beach area, this guy is... Captain America, oh, Steve yeah. Rogers. I mean, I've never seen somebody in the cosplay community play the character as well as he does. And he does a lot of work, and he, his organization does a lot of work with sick children. They go to hospitals, you know, just have a good time. Even birthday parties, too. Sometimes it's not as serious. But could you imagine a kid reads this issue, and they're devastated. Then Captain America shows up to try and make them feel better, and instead of them feeling better, yeah. they go, why, Cap? Why? And how, how do you explain that? Yeah, I mean, you know, especially because Matt, you know, is one, when Matt's in costume and he's in cosplay as Cap, he goes full Steve Rogers. Like, he's yes. not Matt. He is Steve Rogers. Go like, on go our back. videos on our, on our yeah. Facebook page and see for yourself. He is full Cap, man. And so have him have to explain that, man. That's just not, it's not fair to cosplayers. And again, it, you got you to think of how this just doesn't affect comic book fans who are like our age. It's, again, this affects people who are younger and reading and just getting the Cap and stuff like that. And you look at it, man, you know, listen, I understand that people are saying, well, you, of course, you haven't read the entire arc. So you know how it's going to turn out. But let's just, you know, here's the thing. I understand that IPs change hands over time and different people write, you know, the character and have written the character over time. But there's just certain characters where there's certain things about them you don't change. Right, but this isn't a what if either, you know? No. This isn't a what if. This isn't an alternate storyline where it's just a, a miniseries where it's like a, hey, Imagine if this happens sort of thing. This is a mainline, in-continuity change to one of the most iconic characters in comic book history. One of the most patriotic, like you said, in comic book history. It's not okay. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care. I'm sure that at the end of the day, Marvel's going to flip the script and yes, it'll be something like, oh, it wasn't that all along. But don't give me this, well, he's been mind-controlled by Hydra before, or he's a double agent. No, I don't buy 
any of that crap. This was a media grab by Marvel to get attention right around the same time the DC launched Rebirth. And how about they brought back a young Steve Rogers right around the time that Civil War was being released in theaters and the second that that box office total started to wane a little bit and they didn't have to worry about top numbers, they flipped the script and do this in the comics. Think about that for a second, too. Yeah, man. Uh, and that's the thing is that you look at everything Captain America stands for, you know, truth, justice, the American way. And you here's a big thing of his character, a big thing that he does in the comics or did in the comics. Remember, he sacrifices himself and that's right. how he gets frozen in time. So by making him a Hydra agent, it you erase everything about that, man. It's like, well, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense at all. You know, like. Why would he sacrifice himself and get frozen in time? Right, if he was time, if this, right. if he was a Hydra person, if you know, this if really a, started when he was twelve, yeah, you're right. Why would he do that at all? Yeah, and that is whole, a great point. Yeah, and it's just it just doesn't make sense, man. There's a lot of things in Captain America's lore that, even though, and I, I understand again, I understand that new writers take on new properties all the time, but you still, as a writer, have to be aware of the lore and what makes the person that person. Remember what we said during our DC panel. We said, you know, society's changing. How do you create and write characters the way, you know, to, in, in ways that doesn't make them go far from right. their original beliefs that made them great? Right. And, you know, and Steve Orlando had a great response to that. And he said, you know, he's like, you get Supergirl. And Supergirl, you know, people were like, why is she angry? That's right. not, that's not her. And he's like, and so we're not going that route in, in Rebirth with Supergirl and stuff like that. You know, she's going back to be what made her, what made Kara such a lovable and likable character. Right. And then, of course, you've got Marvel now that's going to be coming up in the fall. So all of this might be moot and it might not even matter because Marvel's going to do it again. They're going to spin the wheel and probably reset everything back to number one anyway. So it's almost like this whole conversation is almost for nothing because here we go again and nobody seems to care. It drives me nuts. Nobody seems to care that that's coming in the fall. I mean, I care. It's actually going to make me stop reading certain Marvel runs because I know they're going to end yeah. by the fall. So it's like, why would I get invested in this? Yeah, man. I mean, this is a big, you know, thing for indie writers too. If you're an indie publisher, you're like, you're looking at this and you're like, you're, you're, you're kind of like rubbing your hands and smiling, man, with right. a cigar in your mouth, you know? But speaking of, of other moves, James, you know, involving Marvel, mostly Disney, Disney has pretty much become the first major studio to pretty much go away from a cable service when it comes to showing their stuff, their movies and everything else, and say, you know what? This streaming thing's a pretty big thing. We're going to get a deal with Netflix that's going to pretty much cost them about $300 million. I'll tell you what, though. This is great for parents. Yeah. This is great for anybody that just loves Disney. Like, for me, if I can just put the turn Netflix on and then... A lot of times it'll just give you the next suggested Disney movie or whatever movie that's in line with that. Just turn that on, let well, my son enjoy that, or mm -hmm. just have it on the background. It works, man. Well, here's the thing. This includes Disney, Disney Pixar, Lucas Films. This also includes the Marvel stuff as well. Yep. And so you look at this and you're like, you know, this makes total sense because as you said, as you're a parent, you can you don't have to you know, and this thing is Disney's also, if you really think about it, Disney themselves is, listen, they are a huge company. They own everything, pretty much. They yep. have billions and billions of dollars they have in their pockets. So for them to say, you know what? We're going to look at DVD sales and stuff like that. Everything's going to streaming now. So you know what? We're going to make everything, put everything on Netflix, and it'll make it a lot easier for people to get a hold of stuff and to watch things. And also, if you look at what they're doing and I think this is one reason why they also looked at getting away from the cable stuff, too. You watch a movie on cable TV, what are the first words you see when you before the movie starts now on cable? This movie has been edited for both content yep. and time. Yep, there's, there's partly that. Netflix is notorious for making sure you get the actual versions 
of things that were put out. And I will say that this is a big win for Netflix. The biggest loser in this is Stars because yeah. Stars was the cable service where you were getting a lot of your first releases for Marvel stuff and Disney and stuff like that. So Stars is easily the biggest loser here. And don't forget, Disney does still have their own digital locker system for when you do buy the Blu-rays, which is Key Chest, which they're doing on their own. They're starting to integrate that into a lot of other places like Voodoo and stuff like that as well through Walmart. So Disney's going all in on streaming. And I mean, Netflix, this is where they're at right now, man. And I think that this is also a little bit of a byproduct of the success of the Marvel series on Netflix, where Disney feels like they've got a good home there. Let's keep continuity going and let's find a way to work things out with Netflix. And they did. Rick Sanders, speaking of finding a home, something that's found a home in the hearts of a lot of people, especially uh, young girls, is of course DC superhero girls. And, you know, I just want to just give a big congratulatory shout out to our friend Shea Fontana, of course, who is a writer on DC Superhero Girls, because it's expected to earn $1 billion for Warner Brothers. That's insane. I mean, I remember when we first interviewed Shea. I think it was a couple days after that, and I was in I was in Target at the time, and I'm walking down the aisles, and I went and they had the end aisles display for superhero girl stuff. Yeah. And I walked by there, and I texted you a picture, and I said, "Look at how much is gone." Yeah. There's almost nothing left here. Yeah. Every time I go there, it's like that, and I thought, "Huh, it must be doing well." Never in a million years did I think I would see this number. I think that this should tell everybody, everybody that not only do young girls want to get their capes on too, but that a lot of other properties should be paying attention and superheroes are not just for boys anymore. And what's great about this is that, you know, Diane Nelson, who is the, the DCU president pretty much said that, Hey, all this stuff that's going to revenue and everything else, all this, this content, all this, all these products, 70 different product care categories, 70 different product categories yep. for the show. That is huge, man. We're not living in the world of just toys and lunchboxes anymore. Nope. It's shirts, it's clothing, it's everything, man, you know, and, and they're branching out and they're grabbing people the right way with this. And the approach from day one has been amazing and was the right way and the right thing to do this man and you look at it too is you know it's aimed at girls 6 to 12 that's a big age range you really think about it you know yeah and you've got the books the graphic novels that are going to be coming out uh coming up in the summer i mean there's just so many things i mean the 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 dress-up stuff that they have it's all great if you've got daughters it's fantastic they've even got figures like you said everything so the fact that this has been so across the board successful as quickly as it has been you got to tip your hats to DC and Warner Brothers for really being one of the first companies to go all in to try and get young girls into the superhero genre. And I think that, I mean, it was a gamble. Let's be honest. It was a gamble. Oh, but yeah. It was one that paid off big. Oh, exactly, man. Exactly. Yeah, just a big congratulations to everybody over at DC, especially our friend Shea Fontana. Just an amazing job. We're so happy to see a DC superhero girls. It's just such a huge and phenomenal success. But that's going to do it for Nerd News this week. But come up next, our interview with Brittany Ishibashi from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows is coming up next. We're going to talk about the movie that comes in the theaters June 3rd. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy come up next. This is Karen Ashley from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, if you're a Turtles fan, how can you not look forward to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows? It's going to be in theaters June the 3rd, but with us right now, we have Karai, a.k.a. Brittany Shibashi. Brittany, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, you guys. We appreciate you coming on this week. And actually, you know, in a movie that's going to have a lot of villains, I mean, how does it feel to be the only badass female of the group? It feels pretty awesome. Um, Karai is such a badass and it was so fun playing with all those other bad guys and and kind of adventuring around new york and you know attempting to take over the world so in teenage Ninja turtles as we all know the three of us is that it's a franchise and property that just has a unique fan base and a just a, a huge history so throughout the production process what was your mindset like going in and what's one thing in your performance as karai you want fans to walk away with so going into the whole audition process, I wasn't told specifically the role was Karai. Um, they they said, we want to see Brittany for female soldier. 
and that was all they said, and then to just show up and that they would have material there. I had an idea that it was going to be Karai, and I was very excited, so I just dressed in, in, in all my tight black leather and uh, <laughs> practiced some martial arts move in case they wanted to spring that on me in the room. <laughs> in there, and, and they just had me read a bunch of slides with, with the names all changed, and and at the end they're like, "Okay, great, great, that was great, thank you." And I was like, "Okay, well, uh, do you, do you need to see any like cool combinations?" Or like, <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, she's very eager. Um, why do you have something prepared? And I was like, "I, I, I do, but yeah, you know, I think you know, in case you want to know, I, you know, I am a black belt." Um, I could do my own stunts, and they're like, "Okay, noted." Like, made a little note, and I left. And I was like, oh, God, "Just kind of drop that in yeah, there." Please. By the way, <laughs> I have skills. Why <laughs> I? You know, I think what was so wonderful was I I was able to do a lot of my own stunts in the film and really play with you know how cool the ninja assassin could I really is uh, with the help of this amazing stunt team, obviously, and. Um, and also a really incredible stunt double who did all the really fancy, dangerous stuff. I just liked how you walked into the room and you're like, I will spin kick off this wall if you want me to right now. <laughs> In fact, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. You mean to tell me I've been practicing kicking people in the face all day and you don't want me to do that? Come on. Come on. <laughs> I'd not wake up at 5 a.m. to start stretching. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a good reason because Karai's been kind of a fan favorite character, not just the comics, but in animation. But she hasn't really been given a chance to shine in a live action movie yet. So are we going to see her role kind of expand a bit and out of the shadows? I sure hope so. I mean, obviously, I'm always hesitant to to endorse that enthusiasm because you never know until you see the absolute final cut. Right, right. But I will say I did film a lot, and we did a lot of insanely cool action sequences, and I did a lot of fight training and and um, hurt myself in one place. Exhausted a lot, so I hope a lot of a lot of that was you know, was not for nothing, and that it ends up in the movie. <laughs> Brittany, in some incarnations, Karai is known as, of course, the adopted daughter of Shredder. And then there's other things where she's, you know, as you see in Out of Shadows, the leader of the Foot Clan. Without without spoiling anything, what type of chemistry will she have with Shredder in that film? So in this film, you really just get a sense of her intense loyalty to Shredder mm-hmm. and, and the Foot. Um, and, and the Foot Clan is her family, and she will do everything it takes to honor her family and um, carry out, you know, Shredder's, uh, Shredder's plan. It was amazing to work with Brian T. He is like the most generous, special human being. And it was on a side note, it was really cool to watch him because he was like about to become a dad. It was just cool to see him be like this, to be Shredder and then on the flip side and be like, you know, nervous new dad and, and you know, and then when his little girl was finally born, like cooing over this little baby girl, it's like, oh, <laughs> 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 Definitely don't want to hold the baby in the costume, though. Probably not a good idea there. <laughs> yeah, probably not a good plan. We're talking to Brittany Ishibashi from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, which is going to be in theaters on June the 3rd. Now, Brittany, we know you're a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fangirl, just like we're fanboys of the series. So what was your first wow moment when you were on the set? My first wow moment was when I stepped into the turtle lair. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see the turtle lair that, that is that is going to show up on, on screen in the movie, but they converted this huge soundstage fully, I mean, like 360 degrees in, into the boys' lair. And, and it, it uh, they couldn't get me to leave. Every single detail down to, like, the grit, you know, and the concrete on the floor. And, and I mean, every, I, I, they even have, like, this big sewer water slide that comes down into it. It needs to be made into an amusement park, and people need to be able to go and stay there. I know you can now like rent and like stay in their lair on Airbnb, but people need to actually go and stay in mm-hmm. the set they built for the film. It is insane, and so I was touring this whole their you know their whole space for a long time. They're like, I mean, do you want to do you want to see the new the new van? Yeah, <laughs> 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 and they couldn't get me out of the van. 
you guys, the the gear that the boys have in this movie is so freaking cool. I I really hope, like you know, when you see whenever you you see your favorite characters, your favorite shows, and and, and you're watching them, and you're like, oh, I wish this was real, and I wish I could like live there. I mean, I think Paramount should do something and make this accessible to the fans because it it was like a dream come true. It was oh, exactly. so cool. Oh, exactly. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, your favorite characters and two favorite characters that people have been clamoring for for many years in the movie is, of course, Bebop and Rocksteady, of course, are going to be in this movie. Yeah. So here's a here's a question I don't think you've had asked before. If you could choose between having one of them as a pet or riding one like a bull, who and what would you choose? <laughs> um, OK, this is a really tough call. Um. <laughs> I mean, the stuff that Rocksteady was doing and how how fast he charges, like, he'd be really fun to ride. Bebop, it's hard to say with a pet because they're both so unruly, you guys. That's true. Like, I don't know who would, be, who would be the better pet to take care of. They're not Plus, like they're, you know. I mean, potty training would be a huge problem, I'm sure. Oh, forget it. They're, they're, yeah, they're, <laughs> that would be impossible. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, can't teach them, you can't teach them to do tricks. You, know, you can't pick up they, that leash at PetSmart either. I mean, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, that's just a whole other size. They're, um, but but they are fun guys. They are very loyal, you know, and they they, they do just want to want to belong. But I, I I think they're always getting into stuff and making messes would would make them not your first choice for a for a pet. <laughs> I can just see somebody riding Rocksteady like a bull and he just like launches them like in outer space and it's like, where are they? Oh, they're they're gone. It's like, oh, and there they go. <laughs> <laughs> out of out of the shadows and out of outer space. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so Brittany, in past adaptations of Karai, we've seen that she has somewhat of a connection to Leonardo in, in previous incarnations. So if you could tell us without really spoiling anything, will we see that kind of explored a bit in this movie? We do not get to see that explored in this movie. I was I was hoping we would because I love that dynamic. I think it's a really interesting dynamic. Um but but hopefully down the line. There we go. A little bit of foreshadowing. I like that. <laughs> We're, of course, talking to Brittany Ishibashi from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles of the Shadows, which, of course, is in theaters June 3rd. So, Brittany, TMNT is known for many things, especially its great fight sequences. What makes the fight sequences in this movie both different and even more memorable than ones we've seen in previous TMNT films, especially ones involving the foot? We have an amazing stunt uh, team, and I and I want to start with them. Eighty-seven, eleven, were just went above and beyond in in every possible way. And the way they're able to tell a story through their fight choreography is I've never seen anything like it. Um, everything is is so purely based on on character and, and what would be natural to that character and how they would move and how they would relate to the world around them and. Um, they actually filmed the whole fight sequence beforehand, before they even, you know, could, could pitch it to um, to the producers and, and kind of talk through what they were thinking. And for me personally, I've never been a, been a part of action sequences like this or on a movie on this scale. And, and it was an incredible first experience to work with it or to, to be introduced to it this way. They're bigger and 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 better, I feel like, than than in the, the previous movie. The foot. I like true ninjas, and it's. I mean, I would just show up on set just to watch them rehearse and and do their stuff because these guys are so incredibly talented, and um, the way they would launch themselves off of buildings and flips and and like it was no big deal, and it was just so funny because the stunt coordinator would come by and be like, "Okay, so I'm getting to this, and then can you just like uh, when something comes at you, anything like you know, just kind of leap over it, and then like do like a 360, and then come over this way and the way they just were like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, no, 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 no problem. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like this total badass explosion of ninja would just happen for us. Everyone just jaws were on the floor. And they were just like, that was just like nothing, like nothing to them. You really get a lot of that in this movie. You see, you see the foot clan for like the ninjas they really are. And I think that's really exciting. That's it, very it made exciting. me so happy on set. Oh, that's very awesome. It's awesome when you can have like a, a stunt team go on set and they'd be like, can you like bend the times and space of physics and 
bleep all these things right now. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, sure. And they just, like, you know, clap their hands together like it was nothing, you know? Wait, they're, they're magicians. I, I don't know how they did it. I think they're true ninjas. Well, Brittany, before we get you out of here, where can people find you on social media? At Brit Ishibashi. That's B-R-I-T-T-I-S-H-I-B-A-S-H-I. And you know where else they can find her? June 3rd, in theaters, TMNT, Eye of the Shadows. <laughs> we can't wait to see what you're going to do with Karai. It's Brittany Ishibashi. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us today. James and Nick, you guys, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, James, seeing all the fun that Brittany had on set of TMNT, Eye of the Shadows, part of me wants to say, you know what? Turtles are cool, but you know what? Joining the Foot Clan sounds even better. I mean, at this point, the way that they're evolving it, I think that uh, it's not such a bad idea. But I'll be honest, I was watching one of the trailers the other day. You catch a quick glimpse of her as Karai in yeah. one of the trailers. I'm like, ah, see? She was worried about getting cut out. I'm not so sure she's going to be cut out of this movie. I think that people want more Karai, and they're listening. Right, well, Karai you know, plays a, a huge part in the comics, you know, just from what we said in the in the interview, you know, and... Uh, Again, I don't think she has anything to worry about in terms of being nope. cut out because, you know, everything that Karai does in the comics has actually carries some big weight going forward because they want to make this a huge franchise, of course, in the new movies and everything. So going forward, I think she is going to be even more of a pivotal character going forward. But how cool is it just her hearing her talk about like, the turtle van and everything else like that, you know, and going to the lair and stuff like that? How cool was that? I mean, she's just, she's into it. And I think, again, we've said this many times in the past. That's what makes better characters when you've got somebody that's actually a fanboy or a fangirl in this case that really wants to be a part of this. And this character also very big right now in mm-hmm. the animated series as well. People know this character and I think one of the reasons they might have recast this character is because they wanted to go a little bit different direction than they wanted to go with somebody that they felt might have been a little bit better to do that and enter Brittany Ishibashi. So I can't wait to see more from her once the movie actually comes out on June the 3rd. Exactly, man. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. And thanks to Brittany Ishibashi. And remember, there's going to be no show next week because we are going to be traveling to Washington, D.C. for Awesome Con. But we will have, of course... Our interviews from the convention, they're up on Friday through Saturday and Sunday. So be sure to watch out for those as they get uploaded throughout the weekend. But, hey, if you want more of us throughout the week, guess what? You can find us on social media, facebook.com slash downnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downnerdy757. I'm at Merck with one arm, Mr. Witham. I'm at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. And you can find out all the information that we're talking about every week at downandnerdypodcast.com. If you haven't caught up with our videos from Tidewater Comic Con yet, you can go catch those on the website. You can go to our This Week section to track everything that's going on on this week's show and every week so you never miss any elements of the show. It's all at downandnerdypodcast.com. I leave it the same words I say every weekend, folks, and every week. Press safe comic book reading, always bag and board your comics, and guess what? Confucius say never pay full price for late pizza.